Hey there, Tom Block. Thanks for tuning in to Front Row Knowles. Appreciate the fact that you guys have stomached Keith and I for as long as you have. We enjoy bringing the show your way and appreciate your patronage. Want to remind you, by the way, that the season ticket renewal deadline is rapidly approaching. It's in mid-April, April 15th. If you haven't renewed your season tickets for football, go ahead and do so for the 2022 season. A lot to like based on what we've seen so far at spring practice. For all the information, go to Seminoles.com backslash tickets. Uh, that's if you're going to renew. Or if you want to get tickets for the first time, you can get a reserve seat for all home games. Uh, they range in price from 330 bucks to 800 bucks uh, all in, depending on the seat location. Again, Seminoles.com backslash tickets to answer those questions as we count it down to the 2022 campaign. That said, let's count it down to the start of Front Row Knowles, which is right now. Broadcasting from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in the capital city of Tallahassee, this is Front Row Knowles with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Good day, everybody. Tom and KJ with you. Welcome to Front Row Knowles. Keith, how are you, sir? Is this two weeks in a row now we have to be sad or at least not happy? Well, I mean, you're at the age where that's sort of a daily occurrence, is it not? I mean, being the Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Yeah. Uh, To your point, though, unexpected news yesterday and just lots of news, period. Football practice fields, pro day, football practice, hiring a basketball coach, losing a soccer coach baseball team playing on the road in Jacksonville, just a typical Tuesday at the end of March. We were, uh, you and I were talking before we went on the air, we were just kind of texting back and forth with Bob Ferranti, who who will join us in segment two. And uh, he mentioned something about at one point on Tuesday that it was a slow news day. And you got to be careful what you say and or you wish for, because it can change quickly. Certainly can. Bob will join us for uh, an extended appearance later in the show. We'll talk about all the uh, the news events of Tuesday, which were plenty. Bob, of course, with the Osceola. And then we'll dive deeper into, into football and the scrimmage. Of course, the scrimmage was closed. This is certainly the time of year, as we continue to repeat, Keith, where uh, all the news is good news because you're not losing a game. And as long as you don't hear reports that somebody's seriously injured, then you're going to hear lots of reports about somebody looks better and is making strides. And that's sort of where we are on the football field. I do think there's a lot of truth behind those reports, though. Well, and, and I think, too, one of the things that, that we need to pay attention to, and, and certainly Bob will, will help with this, is that, you know, it's one thing to stand out when nobody else is standing out. It's another thing to stand out when you're getting some good effort from all the segments all the way around. and. Again, nobody there to actually watch. But if you listen to the coaches, if you listen to the players, the level of play appears to have been elevated. And then on top of that, you have some kids that are making some outstanding plays on certain occasions. If you were under a rock yesterday, or for that matter, if you were just going about your daily life and didn't have time to sink into all the FSU news, which is reasonable to assume that lots of folks, uh, that was the situation. Florida State announced uh, a new hire in Wyckoff will take over for Sue Semrau. Brooke had been an assistant, I think, for 11 years for Sue. She played for Coach Sue when Sue first arrived, then played professionally and overseas. And if she wasn't going to get this job, somebody else was going to hire her. And basically, she got an audition last year when Sue took a leave of absence. So that seemed to be a natural, and Florida State confirmed that on Tuesday. 
I think it's a great move, not simply because Brooke has been here, but if you look at her body of experience, as you mentioned, I think nine years, if I remember correctly, in the WNBA and some time overseas. Uh, and then the year that she had to fill in, so to speak, when Coach Sue um, was uh, appropriately making the decision to spend time with her family. I mean, you've, as you alluded to, you've already had the audition. Uh, we've already had the audition, and we, didn't bring, we need, did not need to bring anybody else in to read for us. We knew what we had, and fortunately, they kept her. The big surprising news was on the soccer pitch where Mark Krikorian announced he's leaving FSU. And, you know, when you look at Florida State soccer, and I, I had the privilege to call games for a lot of years, Keith, the program started in the, in the mid-90s, maybe 94, 95, 96, somewhere in there. Heather Kirby Nelson was the coach, and, and Florida State did not have the soccer complex that they have. They used to play. You'll remember this, Keith. A lot of our listeners will. When the intramural fields were over where softball and soccer sits right now, and there used to be three fields, and one of them, if you hit the oak tree, it was a ground rule double, right? You remember the field yep, I'm talking yep, about. Yep. But that was where the soccer team played. And, and ACC schools, bear in mind, North Carolina was the power forever in women's soccer until Mark Krikorian changed that. They didn't like coming to FSU because, frankly, the field was not a good field. It had potholes in it, and it just wasn't someplace they wanted to come. So Heather Kirby, uh, Nelson moved on, and Patrick Baker came in, and, and he elevated the program. And I forget exactly when the, the new soccer field opened, not new now, but the soccer complex. But he got FSU to a college cup once, and Florida State started, started ascending. But then Mark Krikorian got here, and what he did is just – he blew everything out of the water, Keith. I mean – 17 years, and I think 16 years they they finished in the Sweet 16, to put it in basketball terms. 11 years they made it to the College Cup. I think they made it to maybe six finals, maybe seven, and he won three of them. Just remarkable accomplishments under Mark Krikorian. And, and did it in a very unique way in that he treated the ladies basically as professionals. And he recruited overseas. He was he was comfortable in going and finding talent uh, outside of the United States, then bringing them in, but still allowing those ladies to participate with their home teams and their club teams, and and probably interjected into the collegiate uh, soccer world an opportunity for these ladies to come overseas over here, earn a degree learn about how to be a professional. And many, many of them went on and are continuing to go on to play uh, MLS, going back to their home countries, whatever the case may be. Just the way he structured the program, the way he put it together and, and what he asked of the ladies and what the program was willing to give to them, I think was certainly very unique 17 years ago when he showed up. And I think you're going to see a bunch of other programs emulate or institute many of things that he did certainly a loss there he did a great job as as he moves on football will dominate our conversation as well as big scrimmage uh, this past weekend they were back on the practice field yesterday bob frante will join us next we'll uh, go back through those news stories and uh, get to the gridiron and talk about what's going on with mike norvell's Knowles. that is all straight ahead as we are just getting things cranked up thanks for tuning in as always this is Front Row Knowles. 
Front Row Knowles is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now back to Tom and Keith. Welcome back to Front Row Knowles. It is midweek, but it feels like a full week for our Osceola insider, Bob Ferrante. Tuesday was, for being the offseason and not football season, about as busy as it gets in Florida State athletic circles. Bob, did you catch your breath yet? Not yet. It's, um, I think that's from start to finish, from, from pro day early morning through Florida State, Florida baseball. That's, um, that's one of the longer Tuesdays that, uh, that we're going to find. Do you want to go in sequential order, in order of surprise? How, how would you like to attack this, Bob? <laughs> Let's um, do. Do we go with Coach Krikorian or, or, or Coach Wyckoff? And and, and well, congrats, I guess, to some degree, to to both, maybe. Let's start there, and then we'll get to pro day and the minutia of pro day and and spring football practice continuing. Full disclosure: We're recording this on Tuesday night as Florida and FSU are playing baseball, and. So unless Bob is really good, we're not going to be able to have a report on that game. Let's start with the Brooke Wyckoff news, which truthfully, the news about each coach came pretty much simultaneously. But Brooke's been a longtime assistant for Sue. Of course, she was part of Sue's first recruiting class and got the tournament, uh, got the program turned around and back into the tournament. And it seemed like the logical choice. And in pretty short order, they name her head coach. Yeah, happy for Coach Brooke. Uh, Obviously, you know, she got here in, in 1997 as a player and led this team to an NCAA tournament her senior year. Um, WNBA, deep roots um, overseas as a recruiter. I think this is a really good hire. Um, I, obviously, I think Brooke has great experience um, playing overseas, playing in the WNBA, recruiting, has that year as an interim head coach, which which is really huge because she got to handle a lot of the day-to-day operations while Coach Sue was in, in Seattle with her family. And now granted, Coach Sue was, was doing a lot of recruiting at that point, but it was, it was Coach Brooke doing all of the necessities that, that you have to do as a head coach, and, and it's putting out a lot of fires. And I think nobody can get that experience until you get it, until you, you get that one year. And while it was, it was unfortunate circumstances of how it happened, how it came together, um, Coach Sue's mom is doing great, by the way, but but Coach Brooke got that year of experience, and I think that was really good for her as far as being in this position to get the job now at Florida State. I think, guys, the thing that jumped out at me is not only did, did, did Brooke handle that year, but that was a year of COVID. I mean, that yeah. was the main year of COVID. So she's new as a head coach, and she is handling – what did I read? 16 schedule changes. Uh, in one basketball season that she had to uh, uh, pilot the team through, so to speak. Now, I know she had Coach Sue she could have called, and I'm sure she did uh, occasionally, but the decisions had to be made by her. Yeah, there were there were some crazy times that season where I think we were talking to, to, to Brooke on Zoom, and they had practiced um, or actually had the game plan all set up for one opponent. And literally before they're supposed to go out on the practice court, they had to play another game on that scheduled night against a different team. So literally in under an hour, you're shifting the game plan and just going into overdrive, trying to get ready for a game against somebody totally new. You think about if you put a football coach in that position and he said on a Thursday night, you've got to go play a a different team on Saturday. I think football coaches would just go, what, 
like, really, we're going to try and do this. But that's what really happened. I think in a lot of those, those women's basketball games and, you know, credit to coach Sue and, and <laughs> credit to coach Brooke and the staff for, for really pulling it together that season. It was a tough year on and off the court, but to make the NCAA tournament, um, that's the expectation here. And, and they did that. On the flip side, I'm not sure anybody saw the Mark Krikorian news coming, but he resigned from Florida State. It didn't read as a retirement, and I'm sure more details will emerge. But rather than, than speculate on that, Bob, just as you reflect on it, I think you can make the argument, and, and Bobby Bowden would be in this conversation, but you can make the argument that Mark Krikorian might be the most successful coach Florida State's had, three national titles. Yeah, it's – and I think it's to some degree gone under the radar because women's soccer is a, an August through December sport. It in many ways mirrors um, college football. So the coverage of women's soccer is um, is somewhat limited just because local media, national media, the eyeballs are on uh, the pigskin at, at the college level. And of course at other levels too, I think what he's done in, setting a standard, setting the bar. And, and he always said the bar was North Carolina and that's what Florida state should aspire to. There was no, well, we're going to go out there and, and do the best we can. There was no, we'll try to compete. It was North Carolina did this and we're going to try and get to that point. So I, I always kind of appreciated uh, Krikorian's drive and desire to do that. And, and also at the same time, a man who, who recruited the world to find the best players found a lot of players nearby in, in Florida, of course, but he learned early as a coach um, decades ago that you have to recruit internationally and, and use the U S college system as an attractive place to offer a college scholarship to a woman and say, we want you to come here, get your degree, uh, play soccer. And, and of course at Florida state, it was, it was pretty easy. Come to Florida state, get a degree, compete for championships, likely you'll win a championship at the ACC or maybe even the national level. And, and then it was, we are going to prepare you for professional soccer. And I think countless women that we talked to through the years uh, from Dana Castellanos to Jalen Howell and, and many others, they were here because they felt like coach Krikorian and the, the staff here would prepare them for uh, professional soccer. Part of that preparation, Bob, and, and maybe other schools do it. I just haven't heard because I haven't paid attention. But one of the things that Coach K did, with particularly with the international kids, is he would allow them to leave during the season to go back and either compete or practice or trials or whatever the case may be. That's a little bit unheard of at the collegiate level, great. Yeah, I, I'll be totally honest. I don't know how other programs typically handle it, but I know Coach Krikorian basically said, go, represent your country, and we'll adjust. And I think part of it was it's an opportunity for Florida State to develop depth and to go down into the roster and say, well, this midfielder will be playing for Ireland or Japan or whatever country. It's now a chance for us to use a younger player, for her to get a start, and are actually a couple stars because of the travel too, right? So I think he saw the big picture. I think he saw player development, not just at the, you know, who are my starters, but up and down the roster. And, and we saw, I think, quite often he had veteran teams because they had experience, whether they were, they were freshmen or sophomores or juniors, they were ready. 
when it came down to it in the postseason. The, the, the pressure was there, of course, but they had faced it and they were prepared for it. FSU's Coach K goes out on top as a reigning national champ. The other Coach K will try to do the same at the Final Four this weekend. I, I tweeted this over the weekend, Bob. Uh, Mike Krzyzewski, 42 years and 13 Final Fours. Mark Krikorian, 17 years, 11 Final Fours, to put that in perspective, and three national titles. So that, that's what's moving on. Bob Ferrante, our guest, he joins us via the Earl Bacon Agency hotline, the Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together. Let's move over to football, Bob. Pro day. Uh, Jay Sean Corbin, uh, lots of other guys working out. What was what was the buzz or the big takeaway from FSU's pro day on Tuesday? I think it was a good opportunity for the scouts to look at those guys who maybe go below the radar. You know, Jermaine Johnson um, did I think about twenty five reps on the bench. The bench was the only thing that he did um, on Tuesday. Uh, Jay Sean Corbin looked really really good, moved around well caught passes from Mackenzie Milton. I, I thought one of the big stars of the day, honestly, it was kind of a guy who came out of left field and, and Nico Dotson. And, and Nico's a corner who came to Florida State as a transfer, uh, two years of injuries and just didn't had, – had a lot of trouble just staying healthy and staying on the field. And you looked at, at Nico on Tuesday and you just said, wow, this is a guy who looks good, looks healthy, moving around great. And is he going to get drafted? Maybe not, but he's the kind of guy who say, well, he's going to get a camp opportunity. He's going to get that chance to get on the field. And, and he put out a good film at, at FAU. Of course, everybody remembers how many interceptions he got. I believe it was eight in that, in that year that he was, he was there and led the nation or, or tied for the lead. So a guy like Miko, this was an opportunity for him to really make a name for himself. I, I thought Devontae Love Taylor held up really, really well, kind of showed he's lost 15 pounds, uh, a little slimmer, moved pretty well. Um, of course, you're going through drills that are led by the NFL scouts. That's a really good thing, I think, at these pro days. It's the NFL guys doing their drills, putting you through it just as if it were a tryout in in, in a city at their their home headquarters. So this was a good day for, I think, those, those value guys. And Florida State has some of them who had the chance to now play in the NFL and, and maybe even in Canada. And Danny McManus, who's uh, – up in Winnipeg as an executive, he's there. And they did have some guys from Canada. So um, a, lot of, a lot of scouts looking for talent here at Florida State. McManus is one of those guys that we keep forgetting about. Uh, he's still, I believe, still number two all-time on passing yardage in the CFL. Did McKenzie Milton do enough to get a look? What do you think? I think to McKenzie's credit, he looks significantly better than, say, last fall. I thought something wasn't right with McKenzie last fall. Footwork, there was maybe the injury was bothering, maybe hurt himself in a game, not really sure. Of course, McKenzie's not going to tell you that during the season. But at times, his, his footwork and mechanics just looked off. It was almost like he was just trying his best. And then on, on Tuesday, I thought he moved around quite well, threw well on the run, was was about as accurate as – as possible, um, given the fact that, honestly, some of his receivers and, and, and tight end Jordan Wilson dropped some passes. I, I thought McKenzie threw a couple of really nice deep balls, you know, one Andrew Parchment grabbed, and a couple others that kind of went went through his hands there. But I think McKenzie shows you enough that he's maybe deserving of a camp invite. I, I do bring up Canada because if guys are willing to go to Canada 
And, and McKenzie may need to do that to kind of get the opportunity to play, to show what he can do. Um, it, it's an interesting opportunity. It's, it's maybe not, people will think it's a PR stunt, right? And, and it's really not. It, it's a guy who you think can have the potential to play at that level. And I, I don't know. I don't think we're ever really going to see him playing, say, in an NFL regular season game af- after those injuries and after what he's been through. Um, we're just not seeing enough, I'd say, high-end NFL quarterback talent. But I do think there are opportunities for him in pro football, and, and he's probably going to pursue those as well as what he's doing with Dreamfield in the uh, name, image, and likeness space. Kenny Shaw played in Canada a lot of years, so did James Wilder Jr. So uh, you do what you, you have to do if you want to chase that football dream. Uh, I didn't ask Bob, so uh, I'm sort of telling, sort of asking now, if you can hang on for one more segment, and we'll talk about the scrimmage and what happened at football practice on Tuesday. This is Front Row Knowles. Be sure to subscribe to the Front Row Knowles podcast and follow at Front Row Knowles on Twitter. Now back to at underscore Tom Block and Twitterless Keith Jones. Yes, you heard us right in the Prime Meridian Bank Studios. Back on Front Row Knowles, Bob Ferrante, kind enough to... I didn't really give much of a choice, but kind enough to stay with us for one more segment. I didn't want to shoehorn a whole football scrimmage and another practice into, into one last question there, Bob. So I, I know the scrimmage was closed and I'll get your reaction to it. But one thing that resonated in that last segment, when you talked about Andrew Parchment dropping some balls, I, I thought about, and I realize I'm going to feed the hype machine here. I don't go out to practice daily, but I was out there last Thursday when Micah Pittman couldn't miss and it, it just seemed that the comment about Parchman and some drops when McKenzie was throwing, that is kind of what I associate with a year ago. And this year through spring, and I know it's spring, it's not games, but the receiving core has looked good. I think it's been overall the most pleasant surprise. And it's, it's definitely led by Micah Pittman because I, I think he's, he's set a bar. He set a standard for where the room needs to go. And you know, I, I know I've mentioned this before, but, just to underscore, you know, typically four state receivers these last few years have not laid out to try and grab passes. It's just something that we have not seen. Now, when when Micah does it and he's done it a lot and he's caught the passes too, I, I think it it sends a message to everybody else in the room of, hey, this is what I'm doing. I know I'm new here. It, it's it's a sign of leadership from from a new guy. He's he's really not going to have to yell or motivate them other than look at what I'm doing. And I, I think Mike has been the most impressive, um, consistent receiver out there. I think Ja'Kai Douglas has also been incredibly consistent. He's kind of a receiver that we've forgotten about at times because he just hasn't had as many reps, as many opportunities in games. We've seen him kind of run, you know, that, that go route, uh, you know, Miami as a, a huge catch he had against Miami to win that game late on that, on that final drive. But I, I think we're seeing some guys emerge. We're seeing good competition in the room. Are there still drops? Are there still mistakes? Yeah, yeah, for sure. But I, I think overall, it's a room that that we're seeing a lot of improvement, and, and it's the tone has been set by guys like Micah Pittman. Bob, as, as Tom alluded, uh, no media at the scrimmage, but I got the impression just listening afterwards that Norvell was rather pleased with at least the intensity of the defense, if not the execution of the defense. Yeah, I think uh, a common storyline so far has been, so let's go back to last Thursday where the offense was was 
pitch and catch all over the field. And it was a really good day for the offense. And then on Saturday, the defense came out and just wanted to set a tone of, no, you're not going to run on us. And I think early the defense was very aggressive and, and the offense, you know, clearly struggled, um, you know, talking to linebacker Tatum Bethune, he, he said it was, it was important for them to, um, to make that statement early to stop the run. You know, a lot of defenses will tell you that, that you have to be good at something and, and they like to be good at stopping the run. That's something that I think almost every defensive coordinator would say, if we can do that, that's, that's a great start. So, yeah, I think there's been great competition back and forth between the offense and defense. Um, I, I think Coach Norvell wasn't thrilled with, with Tuesday night's practice. So, you know, I, I still think this is a team that's still learning and growing on the fly. But we're seeing enough spurts of, of positives, guys um, who are leading, guys who are emerging, younger guys, veteran guys. So, yeah, it, it's still a team that um, – you know, let's not anoint them as a ACC champion or, or 10 win team, but are you seeing signs of, of progress and development, I think for the future. And, and that's, that's good to see in the spring. The hear me out on this one, Bob, because I don't want to paint it as uh, the rosiest of pictures, but a year ago in, in fall camp, we thought the secondary was really, really good. And it turned out that part of it was the receivers weren't very good. Might there be a little bit of that opposite effect right now regarding the offensive line and that this defensive line is better maybe than we want to give it credit for? And so when we hear of the OL struggling a little bit, part of that is that they got a lot of veteran guys, certainly in the middle, but even the ends maybe are a little better than what we were expecting. I'm not saying they're JJ. Everybody has to put that asterisk in there. <laughs> yeah, I'd agree with that. I think, you know, you, you see experience almost everywhere up and down that defensive front, even, even the number two guys are, are guys like Derek McClendon, Quayshawn Fuller, and they've been here. And um, yeah, I, I, I would, I would agree with what you're saying. I think there's still some getting used to things along the offensive line, some cohesion. Um, Coach Atkins is moving some guys around getting a feel for which positions guys are best suited at. We've seen kind of Darius Washington slide inside a little bit at guard. Um, you know, I think Coach Atkins has been pretty candid that, um, you know, Caden Lyles has been really steady, but he's also just jumping right into it and trying to trying to be a center who's making all the calls and be responsible. And that's a lot, even for a guy from Wisconsin. Um, so it, it's a bit of a challenge. Um, I, I don't have a... I guess, concerns long-term. I just think we, we kind of typically see this at times where defense is going to be a little bit ahead because um, offenses take time to gain rhythm. Defenses have some veteran players and, um, and sometimes it's just the way it plays out, but I think it's been, it's been good competition. I think throughout the spring, both sides. Bob, is it fair? I mean, how would you categorize it? Um, Jordan Travis has not separated himself or, the number two, number three quarterbacks have improved so much that he can't get away from them. I think Jordan is just really consistent. And I, when, when you look at him, you don't see a ton of mistakes. You see good reads, very decisive, um, good on the run, very accurate. It, just all those kind of positives. Again, a guy like Coach Atkins said they almost had to kind of curtail the playbook in the scrimmage because Jordan can do so much. And a lot of the guys in the offense just, just aren't there yet. Um, especially with some of those newcomers, you know, receivers 
offensive linemen and such. So Jordan's way ahead. Tate Rodemaker is, I think, enjoying the practice time and the reps that he's getting, and we're seeing development there. Is he really a true challenger right now to Jordan? I don't think so. I, I think there is a gap between Jordan and Tate, but we have seen this is an opportunity for Tate to um, do more than just get a couple of snaps here and there or be the third or fourth guy. He gets a lot of reps and he gets a lot of reps with, with some of the better receivers and better blocking from, let's say, the number two offensive line. So we're seeing positives there. It's just not consistently enough to where it, it kind of stacks up against a guy like Jordan. It's it's hard for Tate at where he is based on his past experience to, to compete. If you're kind of viewing them and saying, well, which one is your starter and which one's your backup? It's, it, it's kind of clear cut to me right now. Again, that's midway through the spring though, too. Tommy, did you see what Bob did right there? See, I asked the question, had he not separated himself? And Bob was very kind to basically say, Jones, you're an idiot. He has separated himself. Appreciate that. Well, and I was just going to add to it, but a little bit more overtly, Jordan Travis with his skill set, not that you want to run him 20 times, but it feels like in, in, in any practice, especially with him being the clear starter, that there's a, lo- a lot of a restrictor plate on him. I mean, it's a pretty quick whistle. You're not going to call some of the things in a scrimmage that you would call in a game. Uh, and I'm not even talking design runs, but he, you know, he can't extend a play because they're just going to blow the whistle, that, that sort of thing. So that has to hamper Jordan a little bit in practice. And I think Tate, too, Tate throws a really good deep ball. I think that's one of his strengths, and he can do that. It's really just making all of those more underneath intermediate-type passes. Um, and he's kind of shown that a lot in high school. I mean, Tate can do it. I, I think to some extent with Tate, it's just he hasn't had that time under center or in the shotgun, so to speak. He hasn't had that on-field time yet. It, it's just... We, we, we saw this from Coach Norvell, Coach Dillingham last year. They were frequently saying Jordan Travis hasn't had enough um, game snaps. He hasn't had enough game time yet. Well, I think we're kind of seeing that Jordan has the advantages now of having that time, whereas Tate Rodemaker hasn't had those advantages just yet. So he's showing you kind of glimpses. So you see it here. You see it there. You see the deep ball that you like. You see the back shoulder that you like. You just don't see it play after play after play in a way where you say that's a starting quarterback, power five level, ready to go. I've kind of reversed my thoughts on whether they need to go get another quarterback, Bob, mainly because I'm not sure. Obviously, if if there's a a major starter who wants to transfer and come wants to come to FSU, that's one thing. But assuming there's not, if somebody has to come in and learn the system in the fall, are they going to be that far ahead of Tate? And if you do that, is Tate Knight apt to leave anyway and you've still got the same amount of quarterbacks? I I don't know if there's a winning hand there beyond what they have. Yeah, because of the transfer portal, I I think it's a revolving door, so it can help you and hurt you at the same time. I, I think you're answering all phone calls, honestly. If somebody calls, you're interested. But at the same time, again, a guy like Clint Trickett, smartest quarterback out there. He said, you know, jumping up to West Virginia in August and trying to learn a new system that was totally different from what Jimbo ran. It was what Dana Holgerson ran. He said that first fall was just rough for him. It was really challenging. He felt much more comfortable going into that spring and then that second year as a starter. So I do think, and you know, we've seen historically Everett Golson too, was a guy who jumped in no spring, kind of arrived in that summer bridge portion of the summer 
where he had to start learning as much as he could. It ain't easy. And Mike Norvell wants to move at a tempo that is faster than you can think or process. So that's good. You want your coach to challenge players, but it's also really hard for a transfer quarterback, even a guy who's got a ton of experience, to come in and, and try and do it in August. It, it's a challenge. All right, Bob, we'll let you off the hot seat. Appreciate you staying some extra time. Our Osceola insider, Bob Frante. Thanks, guys. Take care. And Keith and I will be back to wrap up the show right after this. Stay with us. Be sure to subscribe to the Front Row Knowles podcast and follow at Front Row Knowles on Twitter. Now back to at underscore Tom Block and Twitterless Keith Jones. Yes, you heard us right in the Prime Meridian Bank Studios. Back on Front Row Knowles, Tom and KJ to clean things up. Appreciate Bob Ferrante hanging with us there. There's a lot to cover on the football field and in Florida State news in general. Hard to believe the spring game is is 10 days away at this point, Keith. But uh, just just wrapping up the conversation from Bob, and I know you haven't been been out to practice, but but you hear lots of things too. What has resonated with you thus far from from what's going on at spring practice? Well, again, I mentioned it uh, earlier in the show, what I'm hearing and what I hear the coaches saying and what I hear the players players echoing is that the level of play has increased. You know, the age old is the, is the water raises all the boats raise with it. And still you're starting to see some players separate themselves. Um, You know, whether it be the quarterback clay or the defensive line or, you know, the DBs going up against the wide receivers or the, the consistency of the wide receivers and catching the ball, you know, everything appears to be moving forward. It's not like one particular segment is dominating everybody else. And so for that, that'll be the strength come fall ball. Now, as you like to say, appropriately so, it's the spring. Everybody's undefeated. Nobody's lost. Everybody's still in the hunt for that national championship. We get that. That's the hype that goes into college football these days. But comparing this time this year to this time last year, it appears to be a different Florida State program. Do you agree? Yeah, definitely. They, they definitely look much more the part. It's noticeable when you go out there. Of course, when you bring in 22, 24 kids in the spring, you're going to have a pretty full roster out there. But, but one through however many they have, a lot more of them look like they belong right now. So it's it's definitely progressing the right way, and we won't know to the fall how much, but but it's definitely moving that way. One piece of attrition, and this is not new news as you're listening right now, but Jarvis Brownlee entered the transfer portal, and you know Florida State has enough athletes and good players in the secondary that they can they can make up for his absence. In my opinion, he did play an awful lot of snaps last year. He was a guy. Two things. Keith and I don't know the circumstances of why he moved on. I know there's lots of lots of conjecture out there. I don't know what the truth is. Based on everything else, it's somewhere in the middle from what you're hearing, right? If you're hearing two sides of the story, meet in the middle. But he was very physical as a corner. So even though he got beat at times, he was not afraid to come up and make a make a good tackle. And he he did that a lot. And also he was a guy that loved FSU because I talked to him several times about that during his career. And so for whatever reason, it's not going to have a garnet and gold uh, ending and I, and I wish him well, but I, I do think Florida state can, can make up for the absence there. 
I agree. You hate it for the youngster uh, from the standpoint that regardless of what the real story is, there is a story there. In other words, there's a reason why he felt he was in a position that he needed to leave, whatever that story is. That's the part that I hate. You and I have lamented that, um, well, ever since the transfer portal has come out. Because, you know, back in the day when, when you had some hardship or you had something that went wrong, or you were um, not where you're supposed to be or someplace that you weren't supposed to be when you're supposed to be somewhere else or whatever the case may be. You didn't have the ease of leaving. And that's the part that for players that I've talked to that are of my generation, um, that's the concern we have. We've created a, an environment where once uh, a struggle happens, once a negative happens, it's just too easy to walk away and go somewhere else. Not to say that in certain situations that's not better for the kid, but as a big picture type of thing, you know, we, we've created an opportunity for them to leave under easier circumstances than it used to be. And there is a pause there and some form of concern, I think, if you look at it from that perspective. The other thing, and I get that this is the times today and social media and, and uh, just the way it resonates, but he became the poster child for why FSU lost that Jacksonville State game. Unfortunately. And I don't want to relitigate the whole game, and I realize that was the lasting image. It was the final play. But there's a lot of plays in the football game, including the first drive of the game where Mackenzie Milton hit Keyshawn Helton in stride for a walk-in touchdown 10 yards in front of the defender that was dropped. And then there's a lot of plays in between that weren't made. And again, I'm going too far into the Jacksonville State Road, but I, I don't feel like one guy, even though that is the image that gets replayed, is solely responsible for what happened in that game. And, and the other point is the team did, I don't know if rally around it is the right term, but there were, you, you could have you packed it in and gave up on the season, or you could have uh, worked a little harder to get better. And, and the team went the latter route. And, and that was a good thing that came out of what was a disastrous night at Doe Campbell. The reality is that no single play determines the outcome of any game. It's a combination of things and certainly plays that you make and plays that you didn't make, plays that the opponent makes and plays they didn't make. That's why we love college football. That's why we love the final four that we've got coming up in basketball. Uh, you, you don't know what's going to happen. And more importantly, you don't know how it's going to happen. You just want to be there and participate in it and witness it so that you can then talk about it and then maybe point fingers at what should or shouldn't have happened. That's the nature of what we do as fans. Keith, one thing we haven't done, and we'll do so in the last three minutes, we'll revisit the Front Row Knowles platform, which has long called for actual real live opponents in spring football games, Keith, and, and 10 days away, I feel like we just need to float it. The idea out there. Once again, it's been at least three months. What if FSU was playing Auburn next Saturday, even if it was Jordan Hare, what if that was on the radar next Saturday for a spring football game? Tommy, I've, I've heard you make the point. I've agreed with you. Uh, I've heard you make your points within the point. I agree with most of them. Uh, I got no issue. I got, there's no other unanswered questions for me. You, you have an oversight committee of some part. Let the playoff committee pick them. I don't care. 
and you set up home and aways against opponents and you play spring games one time in Tallahassee, one time in Jordan-Hare. And then two years later, it's ABC uh, team somewhere else. And you just make it happen. I don't need to talk about it anymore. I don't need to rationalize it anymore. I don't want to hear any excuses. I don't even need to hear about the positives anymore. Let's just do it. It's the right thing to do. Now's the time to do it. Let's just do it. And we continue to beat that campaign drum. And the the one point within the point I'll make, Keith, because you even referenced a little while ago that we're in spring football season where you never lose, right? Well, if you played an actual game, one of those teams is going to have a loss and it sits with you all off season. So I'm even willing to go NFL training camp style, just scrimmage, run one-on-one drills, run seven-on-seven against another team. You can see who won the individual battles. You don't have to have a final score. It doesn't have to go on the coach's one loss record, but it adds a lot of excitement and a lot of tailgating fun to what honestly, and I I shouldn't say this, Keith, but everybody gets excited about the spring game and about the third quarter. You're kind of like, yeah, I really want to see the fall game more than I want to see the spring game. Uh, The fans don't buy into the beanie weenies versus steak uh, outcome that used to be the case uh, in the spring game. (laughs) Uh, and, uh, and I get that. I understand that it makes perfect sense, but, uh, certainly, uh, I think some things can be done, should be done, hopefully will be done to make it a little more exciting. I know, and I appreciate, and I will stay and I will listen to the concert. That's a great addition, but that doesn't replace the thrill of a win or the disappointment of a loss and then complaining about it for another four or five months. You are exactly right. All right, we are out of time. We are, uh, we'll dive deeper into football next week. It'll be spring football week. Appreciate you tuning in, uh, as always. Busy, busy, uh, busier week, frankly, than uh, we expected. Uh, but or we wanted, to wrap it up. Or wanted, until, until next week, he's Keith, I'm Tom, and this is Front Row Knowles.